0: Commitment in its very nature means that certain decisions are made in advance irrespective of the circumstances. Commitment means that I have decided within my mind I will honour Christ, whatever the pain and whatever the cost.
1: Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. Colin, I love that definition of commitment, that certain decisions are made in advance Regardless of the circumstances.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's the only way actually to live the Christian life. I mean, if we go by how we feel in our decision making at any point in life, then uh, we're not going to be able to follow the path of Christ for very long. Mm, I mean, think about the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The intense pressure, the agony of his soul. If he goes with what he feels, Where does that lead? So the point is he's consecrated himself to the will of the Father. That decision's made. What he's wrestling with in the Garden of Gethsemane is the implications of the decision already made. So the Christian life is lived by decisions that are made. And we're in the book of Joshua, in the Old Testament, where Joshua says, now choose today who you are going to serve. Don't try and make up your mind just as you're drifting along in life. There's got to be a decision decisive commitment? And that's really at the heart of the message today. Have you made a decisive commitment to Jesus Christ? Because if you're waiting to see which way the wind blows, well, you'll go with the way of the wind. And that's not the way to live the Christian life. There's got to be a commitment to the Lord Jesus, and he committed himself to you. Now is the time for you to commit yourself to him.
1: Well, as you've just heard, we're taking a look at the book of Joshua. So if you have a Bible, join us at chapter 24 as we begin this message, Divided Commitment.
0: Now, I want to begin by describing a fictional character who we'll call Tom. And as I tell you about him, I want you to ask the question in your mind, what is Tom's problem? See if you can detect a pattern in this Fictitious man's life. Here we go. Tom was raised in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. His parents divorced when he was 10 years old. And after that time, he had relatively little contact with his father. Tom did well at school and liked to play the trumpet, but he gave it up when he was 14 because he did not really enjoy practicing. When Tom was in college, he dated several girls. Usually, he dated for about six months. But when a girl began to get serious, Tom backed away. Tom's friend said, you could always tell where Tom has been because of the trail of broken hearts he leaves behind. When Tom graduated from college, he was hired by a company in the city where he was mentored in sales. Over the first two years, he brought relatively little profit to the company, but his boss felt that Tom had great potential for the future. In his third year, Tom found his stride and began bringing in a good return for the company, at which point a rival company spotted his growing talent and offered him a similar position with a few additional perks. Tom thought that the offer was too good to refuse, and so he made the change. Tom enjoys reading. He's bought a lot of books. He's started many of them, but rarely finishes. His lack of follow-through has created a number of problems. In his annual review, Tom's boss noted that Tom does not always do well with returning his calls. And Tom relies heavily on reminders. He often loses track of action items that were decided in meetings and assigned to him. Tom is now 35 years old. He professes faith in Jesus Christ, but he says that he's having difficulty with his faith. He says he seems to have more questions than answers. He joined a small group last year, but it didn't work out. Tom has met with a succession of mentors on and off over the last 10 years, and recently he's spoken to several pastors. Tom always likes to get a second opinion. But at the end of all this, Tom is discouraged. He is frustrated with his spiritual life, and as he gets older, he simply gets more confused. Now, let me say straight away that if you don't identify with some part of Tom's story, you must be indeed a very remarkable person. Let me confess, I gave up learning the piano when I was age 14, and uh, I could fill a few shelves with books that I've started and not finished. All of us have given up on some things, and perhaps sometimes rightly so. But do you see Tom's problem? Here is a man who is 35 years old, and in his life he has developed a pattern of never really being committed to anything. That pattern was modeled in his childhood. It was cultivated in his youth. And now it invades every area of his life and of his personality, including his faith. Tom talks a lot about doubts. But his doubts are really very little to do with questions about the Bible. In fact, the truth is, he very rarely reads the Bible. Tempted to add, he started it but didn't finish. See, Tom's problem lies in the area of commitment. And it's not just that Tom has a difficulty in committing to Christ. It is that Tom has a difficulty in committing to anything. To anything. He's dealing with doubts that have their root not in the mind but in the will, and the only way in which these doubts can be dealt with and that confusion can be cleared away is through a wholehearted, unreserved, and irreversible decision. And there are some folks, and there may be a number among us here today, who think that their problems are primarily to do with their faith, but actually your problem lies in the area of your commitment. Here's, by the way, a great way to discover a great deal more about yourself. Just make a list of all the things that you have given up on in life. I remember very vividly in my early teens deciding that I wanted to quit an afternoon Sunday school class that I'd become bored with. I remember mooting the suggestion at home, and it was met with a question, what did you tell the leaders you would do? I said, well, I said I'd be there for the year. Well, then you can quit at the end of the year. We've got to keep our commitments. I remember very vividly, I did not like that a whole lot for the next six months. But it is the kind of thing that builds character. For if we do not cultivate the capacity of commitment in small things, we will not have the capacity of commitment in big things. And I want to suggest to you that Tom's problem is increasingly common in our society. We live, after all, in a culture that discourages commitment. We want to live together, people say, but not to marry. A classic response, I'll be there if I'm able. The pressure of that environment can very easily shape the kind of people that we become and shrivel our capacity to be committed to anything. Ask the question of our society, do you see evidence of a shriveling ability to be committed to to anything. I had breakfast a while back with a college student and enjoyed a really honest conversation about where he was at that point in his relationship with the Lord. And this is what he said. I take my commitment, he said, on a day-to-day basis. I see what the day brings and I go with what I feel. Now, you see, what he was really saying is that he had no commitment at all. I determine my decisions by the circumstances at the time. That is zero commitment. Commitment in its very nature means that certain decisions are made in advance, irrespective of the circumstances. Commitment means that I have decided within my mind, I will honor Christ whatever the pain and whatever the cost. I will obey his word even if that is the hardest thing for me to do. I will do what he has called me to do when it's draining and when it's unfulfilling as much as I will do what he has called me to do when it is the greatest joy of my life. Commitment means that certain decisions are made in advance irrespective of the circumstances. And I want to say this morning, there is no other way to follow Jesus Christ. Businesses, of course, understand the importance of this, making decisions in advance. That is why nearly every effective company these days has a vision or a mission statement. Why do we do that? Because successful companies know that you can never succeed if you shift your objective according to the prevailing winds of the time. You can't be deciding on a week-to-week basis what it is that you're trying to do and where it is that you're headed to go. You have to have an overarching objective over the whole of the company that enables the company to determine and evaluate priorities and commitments. And it's precisely the same, of course, at a personal level. I have to know who I am, and why I am here, and what it is that I am supposed to be doing. I have to nail down what it is that is the objective, and define the commitments in the light of that. Now, we're going to look very practically from the Bible at how we can do that this morning. Because making a decisive commitment is never easy, And some of us may already have realized, look, this is precisely the area of my battle. I find this extremely difficult to do.
1: You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Divided Commitment, part of our series, Faith with Questions. We're going to pause, but we'll be back to the message in just a moment. Open the Bible is a listener-supported ministry. And as you make a donation toward the ministry of five pounds or more per month, we will send you as a free gift, Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. Now back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin.
0: So let's open the Bible together at Joshua and chapter 24. Joshua and chapter 24. And we're going to walk through three steps to decisive commitment. And we're going to see how they're modeled for us in the Scripture and then try and apply them directly to our own situations. Joshua and chapter 24. I want you to notice that as Joshua brings the people to, as it were, draw a line in the sand in regards to their commitment to the Lord, that the very first thing he does, and the very first thing we need, is to face the challenge. Great question. What does God want from me? What is the calling? Well, Joshua gives us a wonderful answer to that question uh, right here. Verse 14. Fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Notice that name of God. He is the Lord. He calls me to a total exclusive commitment, whatever the cost and whatever the circumstances. And that commitment is that I will be his servant, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. So I come to that place of saying that you are God and I am your servant what that means is that my role in life is to do whatever you tell me to do. Now, of course, the world gets this completely and utterly the wrong way around. The world wants to say, I'm God. The world wants to say, I'm the center of all things, and that in some sense, God, however he is, has got to be serving me. He's got to help me fulfill my objectives for a happy and a peaceful life and so forth. That's what the Tower of Babel was all about. Remember trying to affirm man's central greatness. That's what evolutionism is all about. We're the cream of the crop, the top of the pile, and whoever God is, he's there to enhance the pleasurability, the prosperity, the peace of our lives. But you see, the Bible has it completely the other way around from the world. Far from you being the center of all things, and somehow God being there to serve you, I've come to recognize that this God who reveals himself in the Bible, my creator, he is the Lord. and My role as his servant is to do whatever he tells me to do. And Since God has made me for himself, the wonderful thing is that I find myself in giving myself wholly to him. It's a great irony. If I am made for him, I can only find myself in giving myself to him. That's why Jesus said, if you want to save your life, the only way to do it is to lose it. And if you try to hold it to yourself, you will end up losing it in the end. The only way to find freedom, real freedom, is to become a slave of Jesus Christ. And notice that God calls not only for our total allegiance, but for our exclusive allegiance. Uh, Joshua goes on to say, throw away the gods of your forefathers, the ones they worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and in this way, serve the Lord. When the Bible talks about the other gods, I find it helpful to translate that into my mind into this little phrase, what the surrounding culture calls great what the surrounding culture calls great. In other words, I am to make sure that what the, other, the surrounding culture calls great is never allowed to take the place of God in my life. I have to take it off that pedestal so that I may serve him and him alone. Now remember that there is a great attraction in the idols and in what the surrounding culture calls great. One of the draws of idols, of course, throughout history and across many cultures has been that you can choose the idol that most suits your needs. And if one of them doesn't work out for you, you go to another. If one god doesn't come through for you, you go to another. It's fascinating to see this in a Hindu culture, for example, where people will make a sacrifice to one god, but then if what they're looking for doesn't happen, they'll go and make a sacrifice to another one. But the commitment that Joshua is calling for is nothing like that. It is to this one God and to be committed to him and to no other, whatever the cost, whatever the circumstances, whatever happens, whether he comes through for me on a particular issue or not. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the lions in the fiery furnace, as they were about to go into that furnace, they said, our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, O king, we will never bow down to your idol. That's a challenge. This is way, way beyond signing up to some kind of creedal statement, isn't it? It's a fundamental life value. Well, that's the first step. If we are going to get out of the fog in which commitment is not possible to us, we have to start by hearing the call of God. Face the challenge. Here's the second step. Look at the alternatives. Now, notice the first line of verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you. This is so practical and so helpful. See, Joshua knows There is one thing for him to stand up on his pulpit and to set out the call of God. But he knows that as we hear that call within our own hearts and in our own minds, we're going to be saying, boy, that sounds pretty tough. It's a bit of a stretch that's being asked for here. So if that seems undesirable to you, if you're struggling with that whole concept of the kind of calling and commitment that Jesus Christ lays before us, here's what you should do. Choose for yourselves, he says, verse 15, this day. If if the challenge seems too much, then choose for yourself today who you will serve, whether it's going to be the gods of your forefathers, The ones they serve beyond the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Now, you see, the alternative of what the surrounding culture calls great does seem very attractive. It's certainly less demanding. But Joshua says, make sure you take a long, hard look at the alternative. And speaking at his time, he says, well, now what are the alternatives? Well, there are the gods your forefathers used to worship. He's referring, of course, to the idols that were worshipped before God spoke to Abraham, many years before. And, of course, at that time, their forefathers were outside of God's covenant and outside of his promises. And Joshua is saying, if serving the Lord seems too hard to you, if the commitment, the exclusive nature, and the totality of it that God places before you is seeming to you to be beyond what you want to give, then perhaps you would like to consider the alternative of going back to the position where you did not know him and you did not have his promises and none of them applied to you. Is that what you want? Look at that very carefully. Then Joshua suggests another alternative. If you find God's total and exclusive claims to be too much on your life, perhaps you could opt for the gods of the Amorites. This is almost hilarious because, of course, the uh, Israelites had just routed the Amorites in the previous series of battles that had been described in the book of Joshua. And so Joshua is saying, if you don't want to give everything that you have to the service of the living God of the Bible, maybe you'd like to uh, choose the God of your enemies, which I think would compute fairly quickly. You mean the gods that just got beat? (laughs) The gods that were helpless in the face of the living God of the Bible? Look at that very carefully. See what he's saying? Look at the alternatives. Now, none of us are going to take seriously that the alternative for us is the gods of the Amorites or the gods that Abraham's ancestors worshipped beyond the river. But the principle that applies to us is if you're finding a struggle in making that complete commitment to the living God of the Bible, take a look at the alternatives for you.
1: What a great message from Pastor Colin today. You can't be a Christian on your own terms. It's God who sets the terms. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. The message is called Divided Commitment, part of a larger series, Faith with Questions. If you miss any of the series, you can catch up on openthebible.org.uk. You can download any message from the series as an MP3 file for free, or you can stream the series online. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, and if you are able to give a gift of £5 or more, we would love to send you a copy of Pastor Colin's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. Colin, what are you hoping that readers will get from this book?
0: Oh, well, I think the first thing is to see at a deeper level just how much God really loves you. I mean, the Bible makes this very, very clear. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what this book is about. Six Hours That Changed the World are the six hours that Jesus suffered hanging on the cross. And it explains what he accomplished there for us. And you know, here's the problem there are many people who believe that Jesus died and rose, but they don't really feel that God loves them. And maybe you can relate to that. You, you know about the cross, you know that Jesus suffered and that he died, but it's not very obvious to you how this is love. I mean, how is this God really loving me? Well, I want you to see the love of Christ in the cross and to see that this love really is for you. For you to be able to say, no one has ever loved me like this, And no one ever will love me like this. Jesus loves me. And in the cross, I see the full extent of God's love.
1: Pastor Colin's book, Six Hours That Changed the World, is our free gift to you if you're able to support the work of Open the Bible this month. For Pastor Colin and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick. We hope you'll be with us next time. This has been an Open the Bible listener-supported production. Perhaps you're finding it difficult to serve the Lord. Well then, let's consider the alternatives. That's next time on Open the Bible.